Coming live from San Diego County, California, USA is our guest this morning. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Mitch Hankins, founder, the Debug Live and senior software engineer. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Thank you so much, AJ. Thanks for having me. It's uh, I'm happy to be here and I look forward to having a good chat with you. Absolutely, absolutely. And Mitch, we'll be talking about how to experience a fuller and more connected life. And that's a big, big thing among yes. so many things that we are facing. So first thing to understand from you, Mitch, is that there are people say there are several reasons. Somebody will say social media, somebody will say you know, some other problem, relationships, and a lot of other issues. What you also talk about several issues. What, in your opinion, uh, is the number one reason that we are, we all feel so disconnected and not able to live the life that we desire or that we deserve? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And I would say it's rooted in both cultural standards as well as technological developments. You know, on one side, we have society telling us, you know, across the globe in every country, um, we have society telling us, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to act. This is how you're supposed to look. This is how you're supposed to talk. And the problem is that it's not always best for us. You know, it's um, it's not at what, what what's always in our true nature. And when we get told to be a certain way from a young age, we learn that what we truly feel inside of us is wrong and we get disconnected from that. And we learn to simply project this image of strength and success out into the world, but it isn't rooted in our true desires. And oftentimes we don't really discover or regret those decisions until we're on our deathbeds. And society teaches us these things in all sorts of avenues, it's well-meaning parents, you know, well-meaning adults, sometimes not so well-meaning. It's advertising. It's companies that are trying to market themselves that know exactly what triggers people and try to get them to buy their products. And therefore, they have to create a certain lack, right? They have to make people feel like they're lacking in order for them to want to buy something. And they do that by not making us better people, but by making us feel as if we're missing or if we're somehow not good enough. And there's, of course, also the rise of technology where we're constantly confronted through social media, for example, with what, you know, the ideal life looks like in terms of wealth or the ideal body or the ideal partner or the ideal vacation or the ideal home or car. And what we're seeing on these media isn't real life. It's a projection of people showing the best of their lives rather than, you know, the full extent that their true lives. And so we're receiving all these messages that are so incoherent with the truth that we believe that there's something wrong with us. And so instead of embracing life and being excited about it, we live under this fear of scarcity and we're afraid to reach out and talk about it. We're afraid to talk about it. And that's what causes disconnection. Right, Mitch. Right. So it means uh, we humans have created a lot of things uh, for whatever purposes, for creating demand, artificial mm -hmm. demand and mm -hmm. artificial 
requirements, scarcity, yes. and then and then uh, we blame God sometimes for our yes. lives. So it's yep. not not right to blame God. It's actually us. Right. And and right. Right. So so right. where how do we move out? You know of this situation. There are so many people. I'll I'll explain it. If an advertising person or anybody in the marketing or even as a CEO, somebody wants to create demand for, for, for products which are need, not needed for people or maybe not needed in that much of quantity and still they do it. And at the end of the day, they also feel disconnected. They want to feel right. better about their lives. Why is it? You are the perpetuator at the same time. And at the same time, you want fulfillment in your in your own life. How will that help? Will that help your children? It will not help. So how does how does one break that chain? Uh, in your case, yeah. Mitch, you are you are a certified full stack developer, and you know you have worked with NASDAQ, you have worked with the yeah. US military, United States Air Force, air traffic controller. There you used to show the way to the planes. Now you are showing way to the right way to the humans, the product professionals who are facing this problem in life. So several things, you know, just wanted to put it in front of you that, uh, so that you can respond at your own pace. Is that how does one can one have a fuller life, a much more connected life and detaching themselves from the amount of artificiality that they have built up mm-hmm. in their own life as well as perpetuating several of them, perpetuating it at the same time. Over to you so that you can look at it from the way you have also traversed this path a difficult way. But now you have actually come to the point where you can show others the way after finding yours. Yes, absolutely. So I I love that. You know, I think the best way for people to really find a way out of that, to find a way, you know, as we call it the rat race, right? The, um, keeping up with the Joneses, always wanting the nicest things or chasing after things that will make you happy. But once you have them or in pursuit of them, you discover it's not really what you wanted, uh, as is oftentimes the case with wealth. Um, you know, just look at lottery winners. I think the quickest way out of that is by becoming curious. You know, we, um, we're afraid to be alone. We're afraid to be bored. We're afraid to, um, to get curious about ourselves, because if we do that, then we know that we have to make changes and that makes us uncomfortable. And so we kind of, you know, find distractions by doing things or by taking drugs or by, and, you know, I'm t- taking anything, you know, in a drugs category, I'm talking anything from, you know, caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, you know, it doesn't have to be something very, uh, a hard drug, but, you know, we're, we're distracting ourselves, notifications from our phone, constant text, constant calls, constant emails, constant notifications from social media. It's all in the majority of the cases, it's a distraction. And the way to really get away from the whole rat race is to get curious about yourself and what it is that you truly want in life. You know, a lot of times when you ask people, what do you want in life? They don't really have an answer. You know, they'll tell you, um, oh, I want to travel or, oh, you know, I don't really know. I just kind of, you know, see what happens. And that is an answer of someone who's allowing other people to control their lives, whether that be an employer or, you know, a family member or a partner. Um, and the question of like, what do I want out of life? What makes me happy? 
Um, and really leaning into that curiosity and building towards that is what will help you get out of that meaningful or out of that rat race. Because if you know, well, what I really want to do in life is, um, you know, I'll just make up an example is to open a store and sell um, coffee, you know, because I'm passionate about coffee and I love how it makes people feel. And so that's what I want to do. And then when you have that goal in mind, you're not going to be asked distracted by a lot of things. Like if somebody um, is trying to get you an activity that doesn't move you towards your goal, it's easier to say no, because you have some idea of where you want to go in life and what sort of activities matter to you. Um, so it's really getting curious about, you know, really what your body's already telling you. Like if you're uncomfortable in a certain situation, you know, ask yourself, why are you uncomfortable? Is it because people around you are drinking or because they're talking in a certain way that doesn't resonate with you? Like just get curious and you'll find that if you lean into that curiosity, you, you find out a lot about yourself. Right, right, Mitch. Talking of coffee, you also talk about, you know, people are eating the menu rather than the meat. Yes. And that's the problem. How, yes. when, how did you come to thinking about this particular uh, way of looking at things? It's wonderful. Means, uh, I, I, it Thank happens you. every time people go and want to have a good menu and they will skip a good restaurant which has not a great menu or they don't present things that way, right. but they have a great meal. That's the same with life. Absolutely. I think it's because we are more comfortable embracing um, short-term pleasures to delay discomfort, essentially. Um, like a lot of the choices we make really push discomfort out until tomorrow. Like let's take the alcohol, for example. Um, you know, of course, there's a way to do it responsibly. But if you go out and get drunk really frequently, all you're doing is borrowing happiness from the next day. You know, it's not it's like taking out a loan and you're paying interest on it. Like it's going to uh, have to get repaid at some point. And then you wake up the next day not feeling so great. And that could be that sounds dramatic, but it could be the last day of your life. You know, if we're framed that way, if you were out to go drinking and somebody said to you, like, hey, tomorrow you're going to die. Would you still drink or would you want to go to bed and make tomorrow the best day ever? Right. So we are oftentimes very much pulled to the choices that give us immediate gratification and that we end up paying for in the long term. But we just try not to think about that because, again, that makes us uncomfortable. And we're very good at finding distractions from being uncomfortable. And I think that's kind of the root of the issue with eating the menu rather than the meal. Oftentimes, the menu is already there. You can it's right there. It's ready. Um the meal you have to wait on. It takes patience. It takes effort to discover. And a lot of the times we haven't put in enough thought to make that worth it. And, you know, just going for the menu is easier. It's just like another example I like to give often is if you're really hungry and your kitchen is empty and somebody comes to your door and they say, hey, I have this unhealthy fast food for you. Would you like to eat it? You know, you're going to say yes. But if you have a fully stocked kitchen full of healthy food and somebody comes to your door and they say, hey, do you want this unhealthy food? You're going to say, no, thank you. I've got a fully stocked kitchen. I don't need you. And that equates that fully stocked kitchen equates to knowledge about yourself. Right. And that knowledge is ties back into curiosity. That knowledge is discovered through curiosity. So really eating the menu is not having built 
or not having discovered enough about yourself to know what it is that you want out of life. Right, Mitch. Well, well put. Well put. Now, to understand things, uh, Mitch, is that why do people still continue to live the life that they don't want? They want something else. Why is it like that? Is it that they are not having that courage to say uh, that, listen, I don't want to wear your mask? I think beyond the uh, pandemic that led us to wearing so many masks, I think humans are wearing uh, those that uh, mask all the time, Mm -hmm. which is not them. It is something else. So why is it? Is it lack of courage? Why? Why is it? Is it that Mm -hmm. they want to be conformist in wherever they are? Or they think that, okay, at the end of the day, I will be with myself. And that is where that is what I am about. But that is not you will be because by that time you have made a perception about yourself and you start living that perception even for yourself. Why why is it like that? You know, I think really it is fear. Um, I don't necessarily think the, the, the one of the symptoms is a lack of courage, definitely. Um, but I think in life, it isn't that we're afraid of of failure as much as it is a fear of what we're capable of. It's a fear of our potential and realizing how big our potential is and the realization that getting to our potential takes work. And that realization, like knowing like, oh, if I do this thing that I really want, or if I do this really hard thing, again, that makes us uncomfortable because it takes work and our brains are designed to be lazy because that's how we evolved. That's how our, that's how the human species became so powerful. Our brains do things automatically, which is the same thing as laziness and that saves energy. And so we're naturally wired to be lazy and it takes very conscious effort to go against that. And that makes us uncomfortable. And so that's the reason we're afraid to take off masks. All of us want to be unique. Like all of us want to be found special. You know, we're all told by our mom or by our parents when we we're young that we're special. And we love that. And we still want that as adults. Like fitting in as conformists is only because we don't want the attention because that attention reminds us that we're not the person that we truly want to be. So fitting in is easier because the pain of not getting noticed is less than the pain of knowing our potential and yet not moving towards it. Um, Because then we know we're letting ourselves down that we're just kind of sleepwalking through life. And so I think that's really the core issue of not letting that mask down, of not taking those steps where it's fear. It's fear of what we can become, knowing how powerful we are as human beings, that there's almost no limits to what our imagination can conjure up and whatever our imagination can conjure up is possible, you know, with the proper amount of, of, of effort and time. And the thing is, once you start getting curious and once you start getting clear about what your mission is or what your purpose in life is, and that can be as simple as owning a coffee shop or it can be as simple as being a parent. It does happen to be like, I want to be the next candy. It can be something that's just important to you. And then all of a sudden, the courage will be there because courage is nothing more than the willingness to act in spite of the presence of fear. 
you know, a lot of the times when you see people in movies, they're portrayed as these people, you know, especially movies coming out of Hollywood. They're always like these, you know, quote, badasses that don't have any fear. Well, you know what? They're not badasses because they don't have any fear. Then they're not cool. It's the people that are willing to act even though they're feeling fear. And that's courage. And when you care about something on a visceral level, on a deep level, um, you know, like about your child or about a family member, you're willing to do whatever it takes and the fear doesn't matter. It may be there, but it doesn't matter. And this is the exact same. Right. Right. Mate. You talk about, you know, that find the courage to be you and the mm -hmm. community will find you. Yes. What What is this community and courage mm -hmm. and you? Well, courage is really required, right, in this world to show up who you like as you are, because you're going if you try something, um, you're going to get not necessarily laughed at, but you're going to get challenged in some ways. Like you're going to get people telling you, like, are you sure? Like there may be a safer route. Like why not play it safe? Like, you know, don't do that. Just like just like be normal. Try to fit in because, you know, it's from well-meaning people because that way they think that our harm in life will be less. But um, of course, that's 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 not the truth. Like, if we want to be great, if we want to fill into our potential, then we have to find the courage to be ourselves. And to be ourselves requires a lot of curiosity again, right? So, and that builds courage. So, once you have the curiosity to discover about yourself and the courage to be yourself, and you can show up as yourself, um, you know, in public and with friends and with people. And it doesn't really matter what other people think because you're clear on what you want to do, then you're going to start attracting the right people, you know, and the people that tell you it cannot be done, it shouldn't be done or that work against you, you start realizing that it's a choice to be with those people. And you start realizing that you don't owe them anything and that you can surround yourself with the people that support you. And the more strongly you proclaim to the world who you are and what you're there for the more you'll attract the people that support you, you know, for better and good. Of course, there's good and bad examples of that in the world. And the idea behind find the courage to be you and community will find you is that if you are a conformist and if you pretend to be someone you're not, then you're going to have a community around someone, ar around a person around you that doesn't really know who you are and you don't have the same connection with them. But if you show up in the world fully as a person that you are, and you start attracting the right people because they see how you act and they see how you live. And that fascinates them. That creates a bond between you. It's going to draw them towards you and it's going to create meaningful connections and it'll build community and it'll build a community that is based on more than simply people feeling lonely and wanting to have people around them. It's based on common ideology and common ideas and common conversation and interest. And that's what community is really all about because that's when you can support each other and love each other and um and and help each other through the difficult periods of, of life as well as the enjoyable excitable moments right right and where do you find this community is it the facebook community you are talking about a linkedin community group sure. where is this community where does one find that you know it can really be anywhere um i think if you you know, personal communities are always going to have more of an impact on people, you know, but it may be hard if somebody is in a different city or if somebody, um, you know, is hard to reach. So online is, of course, always an option. Although, you know, when it comes to the people that you see on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, 
um, the people that you see in, in, in real life are going to have the biggest impact on you. There's a very famous saying, which goes, you are the average of the five people you spent the most time with, which is very true. And so the way to find this community is just by being curious and paying attention. So being curious about what do I like? And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like if I ask myself right now, what do I like? I could be like, well, um, I really like to play soccer. And then I can say, well, you know, let me go find a soccer club. And then I go to the soccer club. And then if I show up as the person that I truly am, I start attracting the right people there. And I will start doing that at various places I go. And I can bring those people together. And that is how you create community. It's just by showing up in places that you want to show up, doing things that you want to be doing and connecting with the people that resonate with you. And you'll just notice kind of this magnetic um, pull almost working where you're pulling the right people towards you just by saying and doing the things you love. Right, right, Mitch. Now talking of, you know, as you said, humans have a lot of potential and then many of them are fearful of what they can become. And that mm -hmm. is why they continue to live an average life. They continue to not have that courage to have curiosity. And several of them, perhaps they learned about that curiosity killed the cat. So let's not have curiosity or let we be killed. But my question here mm -hmm. is, uh, Mitch, is that if people are fearful of, you know, uh, going, taking that big leap or the leap of faith that to achieve what they can actually become. And that mm -hmm. is why they are not taking in and perhaps living in the, you know, in the cave of their own minds. But mm -hmm. at the same time, there is this problem of imposter syndrome. When you achieve something that you so yeah. much deserve and you have that capacity, then you are again having this problem of imposter syndrome. So both yes. ways you are gone. Earlier yes. it did not happen. Nowadays it's happening too much. Why is it so? Uh, why are even capable people who have achieved with all that sweat and blood and hard work mm -hmm. of their lives still continue to be, you know, beset with this thing called the imposter syndrome? Well, you know, again, I think that has to do a lot with um, cultural programming. Uh, you know, imposter syndrome is something I've dealt with a lot as a programmer. I dealt with it probably the first five to eight years, you know, years of my uh, software developer uh, career, even as a senior developer, where, um, you know, you're surrounded by all these people using big words and talking about complicated things. And that's just part of the culture. And they, they know they were, they went through that too when they were younger and they had imposter syndrome and yet they don't really tend to, um, you know, as Einstein said, if you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand it yourself. So that for one is within the software engineering world is a big thing where people have something to prove, you know, it comes from the ego where they're not willing to really simplify things because you know they had to go through it so um they kind of perpetuate that onto the next people and in a more general sense imposter syndrome occurs because of that fear of who we can become and, and really how we're perceived and if we are more concerned with how we're perceived and instead of the work that we're doing um, then that's really where imposter syndrome kicks in because we're going to be thinking, oh, am I doing a good enough job? Oh, you know, somebody else is better at this and I'm going to get found out at a fraud at any, at, at, at any point in time. 
And all that has to do with like all that's rooted in is our fear of, of how people see us, you know? So obviously if we were just concerned with our job or with our, you know, whatever our task is, then, and we weren't worried about other people's opinions, then imposter syndrome wouldn't even exist. It's entirely a fear based on other people's opinion. And that happens because we're social creatures, you know, during our hunter gatherer uh, time period as a human species, if you weren't approved of, or you weren't useful, or, you know, you were somehow um, ousted from, you know, the tribe, then you weren't going to survive, you were going to die. So it's very strongly encoded in our genes to want to fit in to want to be approved of, because our body, our minds directly relates that to um, our chances of survival. So really, imposter syndrome is rooted in a sense of survival. And that's why it can trigger so much of our um, of our flight and fight response and give us so much of a panic. And again, it's brought on by cultural expectations of, you know, never feeling, you know, feelings of inadequate, inadequate, inadequateness, because all around us were told like, oh, you're not good at this. You're not good enough at that. You're not good enough. You know, you're not good enough looking in such and such way. And that's really the program we've received all our life. So we've been taught, well, the opinions of others are important. And we take that into our professional and personal lives and we prioritize those opinions above the results of our work. And that is really how imposter syndrome is created and how it's manifested. And it's so important to realize that it's not a unique thing, you know, to anyone listening. It's, it's not unusual to feel that it's a very natural thing. It's just as natural as breathing because it's survival mechanism. And, you know, I've also mentioned how it manifests and, 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 and what, how it will show up in your life. And anybody will encounter this at some point in their life, whether it's, you know, at work or, you know, as a parent or in any other capacity. And really the only way to get over it is to just focus on getting better, on learning your task. You know, if you're a programmer, it's learning how to program better and learning from feedback. You know, if you're a parent, it's just about focusing on the results and, and the time you spent with your children. And if you notice yourself thinking about what other people think, you, know, you can't stop that, but you can choose how you how you respond to those thoughts. So try and notice, you know, try and grow an awareness of these thoughts you're having and trying to take a distance from it. You know, a lot of it is is really about um, about mindfulness. So realizing how common this whole thing is, you're not alone and learning to take distance from those thoughts. So how did you deal with your own uh, thoughts mm -hmm. about this and come out of it now that you are helping mm -hmm. others and you and have this, uh, you are the founder of The Big Debug Life. You mm -hmm. do tell us about that too. Yeah, I would love to, you know. So I, again, as I said, I struggled a lot with, with imposter syndrome myself to the point where you know, it sounds a little cliche, but I would sometimes just go to the bathroom, just hold my head in my in my hands and just cry because I was just like, I I feel under so much pressure. I felt like I was getting crushed at the at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and I at some point just recognized that it was enough. There was this one night where I had just flown out to San Francisco. I, I was living in Denver at the time and I just flown out to San Francisco to get a job uh, to, to do a job interview. And I was so worried about like, you know, how did I do what they, they think I had like five routes of interviews with them. So, and then I just realized there in bed, I realized that I was having a panic attack. And it was kind of at that point where my journey started of realizing how all of this anxiety 
and fear was manifesting in my body and what it was costing me because of the lack of friendships and the lack of intimate relationships and the lack of fun I had in life. And that's when I said, you know, this can't control me anymore and I need to get an awareness around it. So I started setting boundaries, you know, and I started saying, well, I am going to get really good at what I do at work, you know, and when I'm home, I'm home. And I'm, if I can't help my mind from forcing me to think about work, but I won't entertain those thoughts. I won't let them snowball. And that's a habit that I did every day. It's not a fix where you take a pill and the next way you wake up and the imposter syndrome is gone. You know, it's practicing every single day to create an awareness about your thought. It's just like meditation, you know, it's, 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 it's growing an awareness and it's a daily habit and you get a little better at it every single day. And, you know, that's, that's what I did. And then, um, I started to learn that everybody, you know, at that point I started seeing that a lot of people had this problem and I started seeing, especially engineering um, guys and software engineers, I started seeing like how unbalanced their lives were, where they were very well professionally developed, you know, they were making good money, um, but they didn't have a fantastic personal life because they were over analytical or they had too much anxiety, social anxiety to really show up in their personal life as the person that they truly are. And then I thought, well, we don't live to work. You know, we live to, to enjoy life. And that's when I kind of pivoted to thinking, well, I don't enjoy working my life away. So what can I do to, to express my gift to the world? Like, what can I do to make other people's life better? And then I thought, well, what I can do is speak up about these issues, you know, speak up about the anxiety, the depression that men have, because that's not often talked about, you know, especially not in modern day culture, we're, we're not really invited to talk about those things. So right. I found it the debug life, you know, just as you debug code, you have to debug your life. The curiosity is really debugging. You know, it's the same with a program. Like, why is this bug here? Why isn't this working? What's curiosity? And it's the same with our life. Like, why am I not happy about this? Why is this hurting or that, you know, giving me a certain pain? You get curious and you debug it and you build a more meaningful life. And that's, that's what the debug life is all about. Right. And who is this for? Who can connect with you for, you know, help or any sort of understanding these things better? Who can, who is the right person for this? So the right person to, to do this is anyone that feels as if there is a lack in their life, like they're missing something and they can't quite put their finger on it. Um, you know, they may have certain areas in life they're really happy with, but they're lacking in other areas like health or finance or romance or professional where they just feel, you know, I don't have things fully aligned for me in life. And they can find me at the debuglife.com where I blog about these subjects. Um, and I really talk about, you know, a wide variety of things like how to deal with mental health and how to eat right and how to sleep right and how to exercise and um, how to find the things we've talked about in this conversation, like how to find the communities um, where you can where you can really uh, embrace yourself and where you where you can find, you know, places to build that community. Um, I also am on social media on Instagram as the debug life um, where I kind of show like just what my life looks like and what I've created, you know, just kind of be living proof of, of what I preach. Right. And um 
you know, it's like I said, it's really just for anyone who just wants to create a more meaningful life. Anybody that feels like they're maybe sleepwalking through life and want to wake up. Okay. Okay. Want to wake up. But there is a lot of this talk of woke culture and this wake up. How do you differentiate between that? I'm just joking on that. But at the same time, you know, there has to be some understanding of it's like the same difference between, you know, solitude and loneliness. So I wanted to actually come to that solitude and loneliness. A lot of people want to be in solitude. I like a lot of, you know, time to spend with myself. But then the loneliness is also a big issue. So yes. how do you look at this? How does one know that he's, he's actually not lonely, but actually his mind and body wants a bit of solitude? which is, you know, yeah. emotionally self-regulating. That part is also, you know, it's very important that someone like you can, you know, throw some mm -hmm. light on. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. You know, I think a lot of times when we see someone in solitude, often we're quick to label them as lonely. Uh, but there's a critical difference between solitude and lonely where we can be lonely even if we're surrounded by other people. We've all been in a room where, you know, we felt like we connected one felt completely and utterly lonely so they're not they're they're very different concepts Where lonely is really the feeling of not being connected and the feeling of being isolated the feeling of being alone um whereas solitude is simply the state of being physically alone there's no one around you but you can feel completely connected you can feel very loved and you can feel as if you know, once you get out of that solitude, you have people to come back to. And of course, loneliness is not a great place to be because it's, you know, our mind telling us you need people around you, you need connection, you need, you need love, you need to have people around you. Um, because it makes us feel safe, it makes us feel good, it makes life worth living, you know, life isn't worth like nothing in life is worth experiencing if you do it alone, because that's just not how we evolved. Versus, solitude is really, I consider it my superpower. Like if you can go into solitude um, without feelings of loneliness, it gives you that space to get curious. You know, we talked a lot about curiosity, but how can you answer these deep, meaningful questions? Like, what do I want out of life? If you're constantly being distracted by people around you, you know, if you have all these distractions on your phone or the TV or all these noises around you, the solitude is a way for you to get into a quiet space where you have time to think. You know, Bill Gates does it, for example, where he goes to a cabin for a week. He takes no technology with him whatsoever. The cabin doesn't have internet. And he just takes his books and he just thinks. And J.K. Rowling does the same thing with writing her Harry Potter books. You know, she goes and she booked into uh, a resort, completely isolated herself, didn't see anyone. And she wrote her books. And that's, you know, and then when you, you're in that solitude, you can find those answers. Um, you can actually focus because you're not being distracted. And then you can come back into the world with a lot more meaning and with a lot more to give and a lot more you to show to the world. Right. A lot more meaning and a lot to give. Now to understand uh, from you, uh, Mitch, is that you have come out of this. Now you are adding more meaning to the life very quickly how can people anybody who is listening mm -hmm. to this show watching this show immediately if they want to understand if they are living a fulfilled life or not how they can do it in just a few uh, questions that they, that they can ask themselves 
Well, you know, really, the main question to ask yourself is, am I happy? If you're happy, you're going to know. Are you happy, you know, for a few hours or have you been happy for a long time? Another way to look at it is, do you feel like life is mostly suffering or do you feel like life is mostly joy? And another way to look at it as well is, do you feel like you have a purpose in life, like you're working towards something, like your life has meaning, you know, and if all those answers are certain for you, then you kind of already know, like people that are truly happy, they, they know. But if you feel a lack, if you feel a certain emptiness and it tends to show up in a pattern, then there's probably some self-work that, that there's left to do. Okay. Okay. And now, how do you look at your own life? Are you happy if somebody asks you? Yes, absolutely. I am very happy. You know, since I've made this transition, especially to the debug life, like at first, you know, I would get out of bed thinking, oh, I have to go work for someone else. And, you know, Monday through Friday, I'm just spending it, you know, working the whole day away, like doing something for somebody else. And some people can be happy like that, but I wasn't. And I felt, as I said earlier, you know, I felt a lack. I felt like I was missing something. And when I started the debug life, all of a sudden I started talking to people who said like, hey, what you're saying made an impact on me or changed my life in some way. So now I can say I'm genuinely happy because I can have conversations such as these. And these conversations are what make me happy, what set me on fire, because that's what for me expressing my gift to the world is. And what for me is um, my life having meaning because I can have conversations that to me truly matter. Right. And where does the happy you want to go from here? So the happy me wants to go to honestly where I already am. I don't necessarily see a grand goal in mind. I just want more of what I already have. Um, you know, in the end, it's good to work, to work towards something. But for me, it's really more of what I already have. Wonderful. Wonderful. It, it's it's everyone can be in a constant state of you know where they are and if they are happy that's the best that's the best way to be and yes. you don't need to go anywhere else beyond that absolutely thank you. thank you so much Mitch for coming on to the show on this note it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live thank you for having me